I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. We're continuing with our class on anger. Hi, Lori. Great to see you. Everybody, Judy, Deborah, Sandra, Harry, and Esther. These are the people I see. Marlene, Bracha, Sally. Judy's there somewhere. Marsha, Elaine, Tova, whoever iPhone is. Okay. Anyway, welcome. So come on. Let me see your beautiful face. Yeah, till 10 o'clock to get rid of those wrinkles. That's what I've been doing. (laughs) Okay. So yes, we've talked. We're talking now about uh, patience, right? And we discussed a lot about it last week. We gave the definition of patience, which is overpaying, right? We overpay because we keep experiencing the same pain over and over and over again, right? So instead of experiencing it once, we increase our discomfort and our anger and our irritation and our annoyance by repeating it to ourselves over and over and over again in the space between our ears. You know, so we gave the example of two kids in a car who are both thirsty. They've been on a long car ride. It's hot. And, you know, I'm thirsty. And the mother says, okay, we'll be home in 10 minutes. I'm going to give you a drink. So one kid goes back to his reading or goes back to his game. And the other kid for the next 10 minutes keeps going, but I'm thirsty, but I'm thirsty, but it's so hot, but I'm going to die, but I can't take it, right? So again, this is an example of overpaying for an experience, and we are in control of whether we do that, right? Nobody likes to overpay. As Jewish women, we like to get things at a good price. We like to get things at a bargain. So that in itself should prevent us from overpaying for the experience. Now, what does anger teach us we said again anger is not a tool to be used to control other people to let steam off we said that impatience is like the porter the saval who flips the piece of furniture off of his back because relationships mean that we're bearing we're carrying somebody we care about them right and we're also carrying them And when we've had enough of them, when their idiosyncrasies or their habits or something they said or did bothers us, we may explode from impatience. I can't carry this anymore and just flip it off. But we don't want to do that because that is the misuse of anger. So what is anger coming to teach us? One of two things, right? Anger or any emotion we say in Musser discovers a problem. The emotion is there to let you know there's something that isn't right. There's something wrong here. And it's basically letting you know there's two ways that you can deal with this. One is you need to change something in yourself. You need to fix something. And the second one is, and they can go together or they can be separate, is oh, it's telling me that there's something in the situation that needs to be changed, right? I need to give myself more time in the morning. I need to communicate better. I need to, uh, you know, make sure I'm ready for Shabbos earlier so I don't get annoyed and frustrated. All the different things I need to prepare myself, okay? So 
I want to, I have to share this with you because as you remember all of those who were on last week, this was the most hilarious thing. So remember, I was telling you about my overpaying for the discomfort of the Shabbos clock being plugged into the light, right? In the room that I read in. And I told you it was absolutely driving me bonkers. It's like as soon as Shabbos came in, I sat down, you know, to read and I hear tick, 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 tick. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this, right? Like, it sounds like a ticking time bomb, like a bomb's going to go off. And I also mentioned that, you know, I'd noticed this during the week already a few times. And every time I would take the Shabbos clock off the uh, light and sort of just leave it there by the, by the um, you know, by the floor there. My husband, in his kindness, every week would come and stick it back in just before Shabbos and put it back <laughs> in the plug, right? No communication, right? Anyway, so, you know, so I mentioned to him last week that, uh, you know, I gave it as a great example because, of course, when I was tuned into the noise, I was going crazy. And as soon as he walked in from Shul, the first thing I said is, this thing is driving me crazy. I can't read in here. We can, you know, etc. Anyway, um, but I also noticed as Shabbos went on that I find myself reading in that room, being totally absorbed in my book and realizing that I don't hear the ticking at all. Like it's gone unless I tune into it now, unless I really like consciously you know, and I realize, you see, it's so interesting how the mind works, how our focus works, how we can literally ignore something that's so there at one moment and all of a sudden disappears. Okay, so this is the end of the story. So I have to fix something. Obviously, I had to fix something in myself, but this is easy, right? I told my husband, I don't want that light on a Shabbos clock. Let's just take it off, okay? So Shabbos comes, my light's plugged into the, to the, to the, you know, to the light, whatever. And just after he leaves, and I'm about to settle down to sit and read my book, it's such quiet, right? And we put a fire in the fireplace before Shabbos, so the ambiance is perfect. So what happens? I go to the window to close the zebra blinds, and as I go, as I come back, I trip over the cord, the, the cord comes out of the wall, and I am plunged into total darkness. <laughs> and of course, it's not lost on me, right? And I'm thinking, oh my, I can't believe this. And of course, the first thing we do is like, what is this? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, what, what is God trying to tell me? Like, what happened? Okay, I told the story to the class, like, I don't know, was it Lush and Haro? Was it, I don't know what, right? Now, the idea on Shabbos is that even when you do something that's unintentional, okay, I didn't do that intentionally, there's still a level of guilt, okay? We're not talking about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. The fact that it even happened means that there's, there was a level of guilt, and we still have a certain type of tshuva to do on it. So, of course, my husband walks in, and I'm now sitting at the dining room table where the only light is reading, not comfortable, right? And, and my husband comes in and I said, um, you're never going to believe what he's going, what, what's happening in here? Why is it so dark, right? So of course I tell him the story and I say, 
you know, I, di- I, I can't believe it. I don't know what's this supposed to teach me. What do you think the lesson is? He goes, well, I know what the lesson is. The lesson is that you should always listen to your husband. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so we had a good laugh about that. All right. I said, not happening. No, anyway. Okay. Um, just kidding. All right. So anyway, I just want, had to share that with you because to me, it was like the greatest irony of, of it all. And uh, Hashem has a sense of humor. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to, um, okay. So back to the idea of patience. So patience, the altar of Kelm. Now the altar of Kelm, I just want to tell you a little bit about him. His name was Rav Simcha Zisel Ziv Brody. He lived in the 1800s. Um, like between 1828 and 1878, something like that. I don't know why I didn't write that down. Okay. And he was the student of Rav Yisrael Salanter, who was the founder of the Musser movement. Now he became the Rebbe to two famous rabbis, the altar of Slabatka and the altar, which means elder of Navardek, both Musser yeshivas in Europe. Now, when I talk about Musser, again, it's what we're doing. This, what we're doing is called a Musser vibe. Now, truly, you know, any of the classes that I'm giving you, even one point in the class, the Musser masters could spend nine, 10 months on. You know, we're just, I'm just giving you this hour class and then we're moving on to the next idea. But Musser is the idea that you can know something obviously in your head, but until it travels from your head to the integration in your heart and in your actions, and as your first response as opposed to your secondary response, this takes, you know, months and months and months of becoming saturated with the idea of examining it from all sides, from dancing around it, from trying to integrate it into our lives. So it's very important since we're not doing that for you to go back through your notes to pick something and try to integrate it. And I'm talking to myself too, of course, because otherwise it, it, it's a nice idea. Again, we're inspired. Like we said, we get inspired, we get excited, but then it dissipates. Okay. Um, so Rabbi, uh, the altar of the Kelm taught three fundamental principles when it came to his Torah. I mean, he taught many things, but these were the three and I thought they were interesting. Number one, he says, you have to get emotionally involved in whatever you're learning. So it's not just up here again, you have to bring your heart and your passion and your excitement to whatever it is you're learning. And of course, he's talking to men. Um, The second thing he says is after you finish learning, you have to ask yourself, what do I know now that I didn't know before? But that's something we can all apply, right? I remember when I went to uh, IAC and studied under Rebison Dina Weinberg, one of the interesting exercises that she would give us is she would have us write down five things that we know, that we know for sure, right? So let's say we write down, I know that God loves me. I know that my parent, whatever, things that you know for sure, truths that you know to be enduring and You know, you can do this exercise for yourself. What do I know? It could be 10 things that nobody could ever move me out of my belief in. Okay. And the last thing he said is delve beyond the superficial 
and arrive at the core of the matter, which is really what Musser is about. It's about getting to the depth of things, understanding how we work, how we function. Okay, so the altar of Kelm, that's who we've been uh, taking a lot of ideas about anger and impatience and how to uh, repair ourselves. So that's what I wanted to tell you a little bit about him. Okay, so the first idea he said, and we talked about it, is the idea of Hagbala Haratzon, right? Which is that idea that you have to create a boundary and not spread out. That when we spread out, that's the idea of becoming uptight and frustrated and angry because my needs aren't being met. Okay, so the antidote to anger, the, the altered calm says, is we have to control my needs. I have to control my needs so it doesn't bring me to a place of frustration. I have to put limits on myself, right? And we talked about when it comes to halacha, right? When it comes to Jewish law, when we know there's certain things we can't do, we don't go back there. We don't say, you know, when a letter comes on Shabbos, oh, I got to open it. Oh, I got to open it. I got to go open it. I got to go back to it. I got to go back to it. During the week, if we got a letter and we weren't supposed to open it because we're waiting for our husband or whatever, somebody to come home before we should really open it, then it's not so easy, right? Or we said there's ice cream in the freezer, but I'm flashic. I just ate a steak. I'm not going to go to the freezer and keep, you know, busy with whether or not I can have that ice cream. But if I'm on a diet during the week and I could have the ice cream, I may keep going back to it. So it's the idea of not allowing yourself to spread out because we know when there's boundaries when we've made boundaries for ourselves we're very good at keeping it when we see it as off limits so this is part of the psychology of being able to do this when it comes to patience so the idea is okay that's frustrating me right now but i'm going to move on instead of reprocessing so that, you know, this thing that happened will affect my entire day. It just spreads out over my entire day. You know, I can't only think about this when I'm davening, when I'm working, when I'm, uh, you know, eating. I'm thinking all day long about, about whatever it was that happened. So we have to be able to contain it. Okay, so that was the first idea that we talked about last week. Um, right? Putting a limit, not allowing yourself to go over and over something again and again, and not allowing yourself to get um, upset because of something you can't have or you can't do. Okay, now the second idea is something called the preemptive measure. And this is going to address the idea that uh, Sally was speaking about at the beginning of the class, preparing yourself for a situation that isn't going to necessarily be to your liking. Preparing yourself beforehand. It's called the preemptive measure. The altar of Kelm says this is an ikar, ikar gadol, a very important point in character development. A person can preempt his response by agreeing with his nefesh. Interesting idea. Agreeing with his soul aspect of our souls 
right? We usually call a soul the neshama, but he calls it here the nefesh. So you agree with your nefesh that you will tolerate something that's not going your way. I will tolerate something that's not going my way. And you decide this before you get there. So, you know, let's say you're invited somewhere, maybe you're invited to your kids for Shabbos and grandchildren are going to be there. And, you know, your daughter-in-law just doesn't do things the way you do them, you know, and she just doesn't really know how to feed the kids nutritiously. And she doesn't seem to know how to discipline your grandchildren, blah, 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 right? But you preempt this because you know this is how you're going to feel and what it's going to be like for you, right? And, you know, her kid's allowed to sit on the side of the high chair and not in the high chair while they're eating or not sit in a high chair at all, right? So the point is, is you preempt the pain of that situation for yourself by telling yourself, this is the way it's going to be by literally visualizing, imagining where you're, what you're going into and seeing yourself not getting moved, not getting upset, uptight, saying things, angry, irritated, annoyed, frustrated. Okay. This is the idea. I actually just uh, quickly heard somebody tell a story about how she was going to a yoga class and she was really upset because she walked in and the regular teacher wasn't there. There was a substitute there. And she loves the regular teacher, blah, blah, blah. And right away, she was thinking, I can't believe this. I, can't, I, I don't know why I came. Oh, they have this dumb substitute. You know, they're never going to be as good, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the end of her story, which has a different kind of lessons in it, is that she said in the whole class, the teacher played one piece of music at the end of the class. And it was music with a cello. And I assume her mother had died that year because she said, it, and it sounds like her mother must have played the cello because she said that that cello music at the end of the class made her realize, made her feel her mother's presence and made her realize that, you know, when she came into the class, she started to work on herself right away. She said, okay, this is the way it is. I have to accept it. I have to let go of what I, the way I want it, the way I think it has to be. And she said when she did that, not only did she relax in the class, but she was rewarded with this cello music that was so unusual, but that made her feel like her mother was kind of giving her a pat. And and, and was very close to her. So I thought that was interesting. So Rabbi Orlowick, and I've said this before, says that surprise is the enemy of emotion. Surprise. So the idea that the altar of Kelm is telling us is that the more we prepare for discomfort, the better we can do. Okay, I've said this before in other classes that every single human being has a certain amount of pain that is going to be meted out to them in their lifetime okay and you know whether we cause our own pain or it's pain that's inflicted upon us from others or it's situations that just happen so the idea is is that if we preempt the pain or we we embrace the pain that we know is coming it's a much gentler way of 
having the pain. And obviously, if we use the pain to be able to grow, and because it's telling us something, I have to be more patient, I have to be more loving, I have to look away, I have to emphasize the good, I have to let things not always be my way. And we perfection, be, being a perfectionist very much plays into the angry and impatient personality, right? Nobody does it like I do it. Okay, so the more we prepare for the discomfort, the better we can do. And the example is given that if you're walking barefoot, barefoot and you step on a piece of glass, you may say, ow, I wasn't expecting that. You will say, ow. But if you know you're going to have your vaccine, right? You know you're getting a shot. Well, with the vaccine, right, you're going to skip and dance there, right, especially if you're Canadian and you finally get it because we're 30th behind, um, I think, uh, Sardinia and Croatia and I don't know. Anyway, okay, um, but if you know you're going to have a shot, number one, you're expecting the pain. You're expecting it, right, and that makes you deal with it differently and it's not going to hurt as much because it's not a surprise. So this is the idea of preparing yourself in advance for a situation that usually creates some kind of anger, irritation, frustration, blow up, whatever it is. So Dina Schoonmaker gives a really interesting, uh, she just gives a cute scenario about how she was having a million guests for Shabbos and she was in the middle of cooking and getting everything ready. It was air of Shabbos. And her husband asked her to go with her to the hospital to visit somebody who they both knew very well. So even though she was in the middle of everything, she figured it's going to be a quick visit. And she left everything on, you know, on low, her soup and some stuff in the oven. Meanwhile, when they get to the hospital, it ends up being um, much, much longer than they ever imagined. And she sees that, you know, it's getting closer and closer to Shabbos. And obviously, this is not good. She knows. So, so she starts thinking about what things look like now at home, okay? And she goes over and visualizes in her mind all the things that are going to frustrate her and make her angry when she gets home. And by preempting it and imagining it and what she's going to do about it, she diffuses the anger. And so, for example, she said, you know, first of all, I knew that the soup was going to have boiled away mostly. So I know as soon as I walk in, I'm going to rebuild the soup, right? I'm going to add water. I'm going to add some vegetables, blah, blah, blah. And she said, I went through everything in my apartment, in my home of what might have happened, right? The living room was already cleaned. The kids messed it up again. You know, uh, the food in the oven is overcooked. I'm going to have to add some water and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she said she went through everything so that when she walked into her place, everything was exactly as she had imagined had happened. And she was able to be calm. And it was interesting, she said, because there was one thing that she didn't imagine. She saw that her blech, right, the hot plate that you put the food on in, had not yet been plugged in. And I guess by now it was very close to Shabbos. And she said, because of that one detail that she didn't think of, she was amazed how that was the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. That that was the thing that frustrated her. So the idea is that when we walk through something in our mind ahead of time, the brain processes imagined experiences as if they were real. 
okay? This is a truth about how our brains work. Your brain has already been there if you do this exercise. You know, when I go to my mother-in-law's, she always makes comments that are so critical and so negative. She always does that. I can count on that. So I preempt it, okay? I prepare myself for it. I know it's going to happen. So I, I do some deep breathing. I visualize myself not getting moved by it. I visualize myself feeling sorry for her, compassion, whatever it is, okay? And this is a tool for handling the real situation much better. So, you know, we do this all the time. We do this to calm our fear, fears. We do this, for example, with childbirth, right? Childbirth, which we're totally out of control of. Another way that women feel this total helplessness, out of control feeling, right? And, and we, we do it. We breathe. We say we know it's going to be painful. We know, but it's going to end up in a child, right? It's going to end up in a baby. So it's worth it. Okay, we can tell ourselves the same thing, you know, by preparing for something painful, I'm going to become a better person, I'm going to have used this, this, this situation, which potentially could have moved me out of my equilibrium out of my, you know, into a place of anger and irritation where I don't want to go. And instead, I'm going to breathe, I'm going to say words of self love and positive affirmation to myself you know, before I even get there. Okay, we do this with our kid, right? When we're taking them to the dentist for the first time, we walk them through what it's like to go to the dentist, to go to the doctor. So this is the idea, right? If you know you're going to the airport, especially if you're going now, okay? And you know that things could be pretty crazy there, that you might not get on your flight, that you might not pass the test, that you might be at the airport for 10 hours instead of five hours. And you take all of these things into consideration before, you're going to be able to manage much, much better than when you just walk into it and don't consider the pain that the situation may uh, involve before you go. So this is the idea. So in other words, you're saying to yourself, um, what you're trying to do is circumvent your impatience. You're saying, this is gonna be uncomfortable, but I'm going to agree to accept this. And this again is the idea that the altar of count calls Agreeing with your nefesh. Agreeing with your nefesh that you're going to allow and embrace this pain that's coming to you. Okay. So the altar of Kelm says this Adam tsarich lihiot muhan lisbol. A person should always make himself ready and prepare himself to suffer. Okay, suffering is part of the world. Suffering can be part of our day. We said in other classes, suffering in Judaism could be stubbing your toe. It can be reaching into your pocket and pulling out the wrong amount of change. It can be putting your shirt on backwards in the morning and having to put it on the right way. That's called suffering. Prepare yourself to suffer, the altar of Kelm says. 
Now, we'd rather have these tiny little sufferings and take note of them and say, oh, that was part of the pain package that's coming to me, to my neshama, for my tikkun, for my repair, so that when I get back to the next world and I have to return the library book, right? I have to return my neshama. It'll be in perfect condition, right? It won't be tattered and torn with ripped pages and all kinds of things missing. It'll be in perfect condition. And yeah, I'm going to have to suffer some of these things. And I'd rather suffer the little things than the big things. Or I'd rather agree with the suffering that's coming as opposed to fighting against it. It's, it's not supposed to be like this. How dare they say that? How dare they do that? This is not the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be my way. It was supposed to be, the, the napkins were supposed to be blue. They weren't supposed to be pink, right? My whole bar mitzvah is ruined. So, you know, this is the point. We have to embrace, prepare to suffer. And the, and the altar of Kelm even says this, a person should be prepared to suffer. And as reward for his preparation to suffer, he won't suffer. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that. Just by preparing yourself, right? Embracing whatever is going to be and saying, if this is the way it is, this is, this is good. This is fine. That's, that takes a lot of self, you know, evolving oneself of, 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 elevating oneself to be able to do that but that's what the altar of calm is saying of course you know when we decide we're going to suffer you know then maybe what happens he says and then you don't suffer maybe what happens if we go back to the the light that's that's plugged into the shabbos clock all of a sudden you don't hear it anymore you just don't hear it even though it was just as loud as when you were paying attention to it but you don't suffer so here's a couple examples of this, okay? So on a metaphysical, so there's two levels to understanding this, okay? When you prepare, the idea that when you prepare, then it won't be so painful. So the metaphysical level is this. Hashem only gives us a certain amount of pain. So when we pre-experience the pain, what we do is we're showing spiritual strength and then the idea is we won't need the pain in the same way. Because if the pain is coming to make us become more spiritual, right? To make us less negative, or even though it generally increases negativity, but to make us look inside and better ourselves, okay? Then if we do the exercise before the pain comes, what the altar of Kelm saying is we already did the work. So we don't need the pain. We already did the work of going over. This is going to be painful. I'm going to prepare myself for it. Let me give you an example. So a person has a test. They study very hard for the test. And because they studied so hard for the test, the test ends up being really easy, right? Because you did the work before the pain came, Wow, that was easy. That was just a little wave that that rolled over me. Okay? And the reason is because you were prepared for the test. So the test was easy. Now, here's another scenario. 
let's say, and this is a more metaphysical idea again of, you studied very hard for the test, you did the hard work of studying, and then all of a sudden the teacher walks in and says, okay, guys, no test today. And you're like, what? But the idea is the teacher says, yeah, I just wanted you to study. Okay, so that's the idea of when you do the work before, when you experience the pain that is coming before and you grow yourself through it, God says, you know what, you don't need the pain. You, you, you know, I, I always like to say, choose your pain, you know, choose your pain. Like, okay, the example I give is you know, with people who don't want children or they want very few children, or they say, I can't handle any more children. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. But the point is, is, you know what, there's going to be pain in life. And it's so much better when you choose it. When you say, yeah, child rearing comes with a lot of pains. It comes with a lot of difficulties. Life would be easier without them, possibly. I already have two. What do I need more for? But if we all have a certain amount of pain that's going to be coming to us anyway, I'd rather choose my pain than have it be more random. Anyway, I don't know if you if that resonates with you, but okay. So um, there's a story in the Gemara that uh, usually is talked about at Elul time, which talks about some smugglers who want to take diamonds and precious stones across the border, and they figure out that the best way to do this is to pretend that they're in a funeral, that they're at a funeral. And they'll put all of the uh, precious jewels into a coffin and they'll have a funeral procession and they'll smuggle over the, they'll, they'll smuggle the, the, the booty over the border because what kind of a border crossing guard is going to open up a, an arm with a dead body in it or stop you because of that. So their plan works for a while you know, they have, they, they carry the coffin and say they have to go bury this person. It works for a while until after they've been doing this for some time, they become so used to it um, that one time they're stopped and they're so shocked because the border patrol stops them and he asks them to open up the coffin. And of course they're caught. He opens up the coffin they see what they're really doing, what they're really smuggling over the border, and they're handcuffed. And they start crying and screaming and crying and screaming all about what's happening. And the Border Patrol says to them, you know what, if you would have started crying and screaming 15 minutes ago, you know, when you were carrying the coffin towards the border, instead of what they were doing, which was laughing and joking with each other because they've been doing this so often, they forgot their role, they forgot their part, right? He said, then, you know, if you had been crying when you were doing the funeral procession, we wouldn't have guessed that something was off. But the only reason that you're crying now is because you didn't cry then. Okay, so again, it's just an, a metaphor for the idea that if we can cry before the event, we can tell ourselves, oh, there's so much pain here. Every time I go there, I'm ignored, I'm insulted. I'm, I don't feel good. I, I don't like the way, you know, things are being handled here. 
but we can preempt it. Again, the altar of Kelm is telling us that is a way to grow spiritually and avoid the pain that anyway is coming to us or not avoid the pain, but preempt the pain, put it into our um, court, right? And not be at the mercy of what we know is coming anyway, trying to preempt it. And again, this is in situations where we know this situation is always painful for me. Whenever I go there, whenever I'm with that person, this is what I can expect. So you want to prepare yourself. And you prepare yourself by saying, I can tolerate this. You can prepare yourself by saying, not everything can go the way I want in life. And again, this is called haskama benefesh, agreeing with your nefesh. And this will help you tolerate pain and have a higher threshold for pain. Savlanus, being patient, means to tolerate something that's against my will. Something that I'm feeling a low tolerance threshold for. When someone criticizes me, when someone ignores me. And sometimes we do it to ourselves, right? All of any of us who have perfectionistic tendencies, we get frustrated with ourselves and we'll go over and over and over again. The pain, the pain that we caused ourselves. Why did I do this? Why did I say that? We go over and over the mistake instead of being able to move on. And that's the idea of spreading out. We need to contain it. We need to have tolerance, not only of ourselves, but about others. So what does the person do? Again, someone who is constantly reprocessing the pain of the experience after it happened. So how can I control myself? This is the second question. What about situations where you can't preempt you didn't know it was going to happen you weren't expecting it you didn't know you were going to go to metro and you thought you had a half an hour you know to get out of the line and to your next appointment but until you got out of metro it was three quarters of an hour because they didn't know the prices and the lady in front of you and somebody spilled something who knows what okay you didn't know you couldn't have you couldn't have prepared for this So there, what do we do? We said this last week. You start to change the thoughts in your mind. Instead of going over and over again, ugh, this is so awful. Ugh, I can't believe I'm going to be late. Ugh, I can't believe the stupid lady in front of me. This is terrible. This is horrible. This is, right? We want to use the time well. And instead of reprocessing over and over how frustrated it is, we want to do something else. We want to take it to a higher place. Okay. So when you're going over and over something and saying, oh, this hurts, I hate this, I hate this, this hurts so much. You're overpaying for the experience. You're overpaying emotionally. The same way you wouldn't want to overpay for a sweater, you shouldn't want to overpay emotionally. So another idea here, what will help me to move on and not get angry when I'm impatient, annoyed, and irritated in situations that I didn't expect? So the example is birth, right? Anybody who's been in labor or had a labor coach, 
one of the big secrets of having an easier birth is not to resist the pain, but to breathe through the pain. That when you tighten up, when you get anxious and angry and emotional, it actually hurts more. Whereas if you accept the pain, it helps you move on. It helps you move through it. When you embrace the pain, we can talk to Gemma about that, Madeline, and she'll tell us all about that, right? When you breathe through it and expect it. However, when you want something to go your way and it doesn't, you're doing the opposite. You're tightening up. You're fighting and re resisting. And you're making it worse. Because when you fight whatever it is that you don't want, that you don't like, it shouldn't be like this, you make it more painful. So the advice is loosen up. Loosening up is helpful. And the altar of Kelm goes further. And this is another point. It's a more spiritual idea, but it's a spiritual idea that when you're standing in line at Metro and things aren't going the way you want, this is what you can be thinking. The altar of Kelm says, in truth, it is so good to, to accept this discomfort because I'm paying off some debts. I'd rather suffer in this world than in the next world. Okay, now I know this is a, opens up a whole new um, idea for some people, but we have a very Jewish idea. The Jewish idea is that we'd rather get our suffering and our pain in this world because there are certain debts that we have to pay off through, through any kind of suffering or pain. Again, from the tiniest little thing from having a hangnail, which is driving you crazy, especially on Shabbos, if you can't do much about it, right? Or, you know, God forbid, a bankruptcy, right? A huge tragedy, God forbid, low Elena. We're paying off a debt. Our, our time in this world is very short. Our souls have to come down here in order to be mitakain, to repair, repair. As I love to tell the story of Rabbi Sorol Salanter, right? Rabbi Sorol Salanter, the leader of the Muslim movement, was once walking late at night, you know, and he noticed a light on in this simple Jew's home. And he knocked on the window and he came in and it was a shoemaker and the shoemaker was sitting there fixing the shoes. And Rabbi Sorol Salanter asked him, why are you so busy doing this at this time? And the shoemaker answered him, as long as the candle is burning, I can fix. And Rabbi Sorol Salanter took that expression, right? And he said, just like the shoemaker said, as long as our neshamas are within us, as long as we are in this world, we can fix. He was fixing the soles of shoes, right? We can literally fix our souls. So any pain that comes from to us, when we embrace it and we recognize that we're just paying off our debts, then that's another way of bringing it to a higher place. We never ask for suffering and we never ask for the reward of suffering. 
but you're, if you're in a situation of suffering that you did not bring on, see it again as pain that I would rather suffer here than over there. Again, here, pain is momentary. It doesn't feel that way. We don't like it. We'd rather not have it. Our bodies are in pain, but our souls are actually in ecstasy. Now, I was told this when I was going through chemotherapy and I was away from my five kids. When I was 35 years old, my Rebison called me from Israel. I think if she had been closer, I might have wanted to punch her. But she literally said to me, she said, Devorah, your body is in pain. Your body is going through an excruciating challenge. But you have to know your soul is is singing and dancing. Now, you know, to believe that, that those moments is not easy. But if we could be completely objective about our lives in this world and the pain that we have in this world, if we could really understand it with clarity, that's the way we would understand any of the pain that comes to us. We'd rather have it here because it's fixing us. And when we use it, and not try to fight against it or ignore it or spend our whole lives saying what's wrong with everybody else. And if only they could change, life would be so wonderful, right? And instead of asking, why is he doing that to me? Why is she doing that to me? Asking ourselves the higher question, why is he doing this to me? Why is this being allowed to happen? What am I supposed to fix? What does it mean when I got rid of the Shabbos clock? I plugged in the light. I did everything properly. And two seconds later, I trip over the cord and the room is plunged into darkness. Thank you. Thank you for the pain. Right? There was a message here. God was giving me a little wink. Okay, Devorah, it's not going to be that simple. You know, you're not just going to like get rid of the Shabbos clock and it's going to be over. This has a longer story to it. There's something deeper going on here. You need to fix something, right? I'm not going to make it so easy for you. Because when your husband walked in the week before and the Shabbos clock was ticking, probably before you said, I can't stand the Shabbos clock, you might have been able to say, Good Shabbos, welcome home. How are you? You know, give him maybe five minutes before, you know, you said, I can't believe you plugged the Shabbos clock in again. I can't believe this, right? Okay, even something like that. We're here to fix our midot. That's what Rabbi Sarasana just said. We're here to fix our character traits. And everything that happens to us is coming to let us know you're not there yet. And it's not about everybody else. I brought this person into your life so that you can fix. They're just props. You cannot control them. So you made it, might as well start working to control yourself. Because that's the only one that you can control. Choose your pain. Embrace it. And this is the cognitive reframe. This can help us. Instead of tightening up, right, fighting against something, accept it. Accept it in this world because it's better here than 
getting fixed up over there. Again, if the voice that's getting me angry and upset is coming from a place of me, how can you do this to me? How could this happen to me? Then it's going to be a very angry voice. And of course, we know anger and arrogance are partners. And we can spend our entire lives, most of us, I mean, some people are born naturally humble, but one of the human conditions is, of course, that I am the center of the universe. You know, we have to be trained to say please and thank you, because why should I? You know, I'm supposed to get this. You're supposed to do this for me, right? So getting rid and subduing our towering arrogance, if nothing else, is part of what this pain is meant to do. Shifting from my being the center of the universe and everybody being created to serve me to God being the center of the universe and my serving others and working on myself, that's a huge shift. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about guilt before we leave. So again, if your voice is about me, 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 your voice is going to be very angry. If the voice instead is about this philosophy, this Jewish hashkafa of, okay, it's painful. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to breathe through it. I'd rather have it here than in the next world, which is for eternity. I'd rather get rid of it now and not have to pay for it. In Gehenna, God forbid, where we all go, but the time, the, the, the amount of time we spend there has a lot to do with the work that we do in this world, right? We all go there. We say Kaddish for 11 months. Does anybody know why we say it for 11 months and not for the entire year? An incredible answer. We say that we only say it for 11 months because we're hopeful and we're, we're, we're positively thinking that whoever it is that we're saying Kaddish for no way deserves the full 12 months. That they definitely got off for good behavior in 11 months. Now, believe it or not, there's a halacha that if a person was a real Russia, like a, a Jew who was a murderer and a robber and like a real evil person, if your parent was that person, the halacha says you got to say Kaddish for 12 months for him because he's definitely there for 12 months. Okay, but for everybody else, we say 11 months is enough. Hopefully it was less than that. So it's just incredible that this is reflected in the time that we say the Kaddish for. Okay, so if we can say that, that Hashem loves me, that he's not out to get me, that this pain that's coming to me is for my good, that I have to accept it, I have to learn to move on and not reprocess it and ruminate over it over and over again and overpay for it, okay? Now, guilty feelings are what lead us to overpay. We start to take too much responsibility for what happened. Oh, if only I'd done that, if only I'd done this, it's my fault, I should have done it this way, if only I'd done it that way, if only I'd send my kids to that school, if only I would have you know, married this person, if only, whatever it is, if only I would have done things differently. 
And the ace personality that we talked about, right, the fiery personality who has a tendency to get angry and critical and destroy people on their way up to the next level, okay, will feel very guilty after they get angry. So what they do is they punish themselves by over-processing. So let me make this very clear for those of you who were raised with guilt or practice guilt. Guilt, like every other emotion, is only good if it brings me to some kind of action. You feel the guilt once, you discover the emotion of guilt, and then you do something. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Next time I'll do it differently. You're supposed to learn something from it and then throw it away. Guilt is not an end in itself. It's a means that should be quickly transferred into action. Because what happens instead is you can feel that guilt. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, it was my fault. And it can quickly move from being the voice of the Yetzer Tov, of the good side of you that says, okay, next time you're going to do better. Next time you're going to do it this way to the place of the Yetzer Hara which will go over and over the guilt and destroy you. And this kind of guilt, whether people call it Jewish guilt or whatever it is, it has no place except to arouse you to do something differently the next time. You're supposed to, and what guilt does is it uses your spiritual side, your spiritual consciousness to get you to become depressed, to give up, or to beat yourself up. So guilt, like every other emotion, is an emotional discovery that should move you, move eventually, should move very quickly from the emotion to the seichel, right? To the mind. It's a teacher. Learn the lesson and then throw the guilt away. Otherwise, it will destroy you. Because that's what the Eight Sahara wants to do. And then you won't work on yourself and you'll say, I'm useless, I'm stupid, I I did it again, I'm it's my fault, etc. etc. Okay, the last idea before we go, Rabnasan Wachtvogel, a great rabbi. There's a story that whenever his Talmudim, whenever his students would come to him and they would start, you know, um, telling him about the things they did wrong or the things they feel guilty for or the areas in their life that they're not, you know, doing well in. He would quote from the line in Ashrei that we say three times a day, the, the prayer Ashrei Yoshvei Vesecha Od Kasela. So the very last line in that prayer says, Me'ata, from now, Ve'ad Olam, Hallelujah, from now until tomorrow, until the future. And what he was telling the students is he was saying, I don't care what happened in the past. I don't want to know what you did. It's from now and going forward. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's all that matters. What are you going to do now? How are you going to be different now because of A, B, or C, right? So that's what matters. It's very interesting because as a coach, that is one of the main things that they teach us, this principle, that as opposed to therapy or other kinds of psychoanalysis, 
Coaching is all about moving the person from the present into the future and not going over and over and over the past, unless of course there's something that really needs to be addressed before the person can move forward. But the main thing is to go from today forward and get unstuck and work through whatever you need to do to be able to get to where you want to get to from today and on. By the way, if anybody wants a coaching session, you can email me. I still need to get my hours for my class. So um, please email me if you want one session even. I'd love to be able to help you with anything that uh, you might be stuck with or you want to go forward in. Okay, last idea. So guilt is connected to insecurity. And the same way we have to have bitachon in Hashem, we also have to have bitachon in ourselves. Trust. <coughs> Trust ourselves. More than that, we can't expect ourselves to be perfect. You know, it says that when a person would come to somebody and say, you know, I don't like your nose or I don't like the way your eyes look. So the rabbi would say, there's a story about a very ugly rabbi that was met by a Talmud Chacham. And he said, oh, you're the ugliest person I ever met. And this rabbi responded and said, really, you don't like it? Go and complain to the one who made me. <laughs> Go and complain to the one who created me. So the idea is, you know, Part of getting rid of guilt is self-love, is recognizing that God made us perfectly imperfect. Perfect. Right? And that's okay. So we don't beat ourselves up. Okay, ladies, we're going to end. Thank you so much for listening.